Hey everybody, welcome back to the Nothing Owed Podcast. I need to uh, start by apologizing. I'm sure you noticed we actually uh, skipped a week in our episode releasing, um, and that was my fault. Um, I was actually on a trip, and I thought I had my internet access lined up, um, and it turned out I didn't. (laughs) So... I wasn't able to uh, produce and release uh, this episode, Uh, and actually I wasn't even able to record because the internet was so bad where I was, so we had to kind of delay our release of this episode. Uh, This was supposed to be released uh, last Friday, but uh, again, um, definitely uh, definitely my fault, definitely an oversight on my part, so I apologize to everyone out there for for leaving you hanging. It definitely wasn't my plan. So... um, now that everything's somewhat back to normal, uh, we should be back to our at least minimum one release per week schedule. So I apologize to uh, to Ben and Dylan for not being on this episode, and apologize to everyone else out there for uh, for the delay in releasing. But uh, with that being said, uh, this is an awesome an awesome episode with Dylan Cooper. I think you guys will really like this one. And as always, uh, Nothing Owed is brought to you by Modus, so please check them out, modusnation.com. Use the promo code NOTHINGOWED on their website for a special discount on all of their awesome merchandise. Uh, ben and Lindsay are, are kicking ass, always releasing new stuff. They always have new designs coming out that I, I really love. Uh, they're definitely uh, releasing more shirts than I can than I can buy. Uh, I don't want to overflow my closet, but uh, they're making some awesome stuff, so please, uh, please support them. Please buy some shirts. I know you'll definitely like them. And then uh, a couple honorable mentions. As always, we have a lot of supporters of the show. Uh, Aaron Meza from Grind Ops Coffee. Coffee has been an, an awesome supporter of us, and he's he's making a great product. Uh, so please go buy some uh, Grind Ops Coffee. Uh, Mark Miller from uh, Winfield Watch is an awesome dude. Uh, please go support him. Check out his new designs. Check out, um, you know, he they're always uh, running different promotions on their site, so please uh, please check them out. Buy a watch. Uh, you won't be disappointed, I, I promise you. And uh, lastly, I want to talk about um, Forest Flag. Forest Flags, excuse me. Uh, if you are in need of an awesome wooden American flag, please check out Forest Flags. Uh, he also has a, a new line coming out, uh, Line 613. He's got some uh, some shirts, uh, different things coming out. So he, he's really making some, some awesome changes to his offerings there. So he's always got new stuff coming out, so please uh, check out Forest Flags and line 613. So with that being said, I will turn it over to Ben and Dylan Cooper for this week's episode. I know you guys are going to enjoy this. All right. Thanks, everybody. Welcome back, listeners. It's the Nothing Old Podcast. Tonight, it's just Ben with our guest. Brian is with his family up in the mountains. He apologizes for not being here, but uh, we, you know, family first. So we're excited to... uh, that he got away for a little bit, but uh, we'll miss him. But we have a, a great guest today, uh, a guy that's, uh, well, first we'll say it, he's an Army veteran. Um, so for our listeners, we know that we get way too many Marine guests, so it's nice to have an Army guy. That's probably why Brian scheduled his vacation this week, so he wouldn't have to talk to Dylan. So we have Dylan Cooper of the Mindset Academy. He is an author, um, a counselor, uh, he is a veteran. Uh, he's an entrepreneur, businessman, uh, and an outstanding guy. I've, I've read I read his most recent book um, that he just put out, 
um, about some of his struggles and, and how he overcame them and his mindset uh, to get where he's at today and how to help kids and everything else. So uh, with that, Dylan, welcome to the show. How you doing? Doing good, man. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. You know, we, uh, we, we love to have guys on that have, have, you know, our show is really about, you know, there's enough shows out there for millionaires and, you know, guys that were Navy SEALs and, and, uh, you know, just our pipe hitters and everything else. And we, we're trying to do something for the, you know, we're, we're veteran centric, I guess is the word, but we're trying to do something for the guys trying to go from zero to one. How do you, how do you get, you know, if you, if you want to make a change, how do you make a change? And most of our guests, um, are, are in that same, uh, I'm a business owner. I started a small business and understand the struggles of, you know, it's kind of scary, you know, I mean, I read your, I read your most recent book and we'll get into that, but, um, you know, I think you were at a place where it was like, man, I just got to do this. And, and it was difficult. It was scary. Um, and and you just made the decision. I mean, that's kind of the common thread. Everybody that comes on kind of says, right. Make that decision. So, but let's talk about it. Let's start at the beginning. Um, I know you're from Oklahoma, so shout out to all the Oklahoma groups out there and, and all the red out there listening. Yeah, Sooner fans. Are you Oklahoma State or Oklahoma fan? Oklahoma State, baby. Oh, you're a state fan. Okay. Oh yeah. All yeah. right. All right. We can do that. I've been there to their. Uh, I went to a basketball game there at there one time. Uh, UNLV was playing, so I, I got to go there. So it was pretty cool. Yo, yo, yo. All right, so to start us at the beginning, tell us, uh, you know, a little bit about your childhood and what caused yep. you to go in the Army and kind of talk us there, and then we'll get into the nuts and bolts of what you got going on now. For sure, man. Um, yeah, I grew up in uh, Oklahoma, pretty small rural town. I think I graduated with like 35 kids. Um, mom, my mom's been a nurse since I can remember. Um, she's just been just a grinder since I can remember, you know, I remember watching her like basically put herself through nursing school and, um, you know, just working her way up. But along the way, I, I always seen her, um, use her titles to help other people, you know, and then my dad just worked in the oil field different, just, you know, just blue collar, just go to work, did what he had to do. Um, have two sisters, one's younger and one is older. And yeah, growing up there, man, um, poverty rate back then was probably like 42%, 45%, which it's probably the same now, if not worse. So, uh, you know, I didn't have it bad growing up. It's not like we were like rich or anything like that. It's weird because I have like a part of my childhood where we lived in the ghetto in town and then a part where we lived in a trailer in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. So it's like, I can do like the rap videos or I can do like the country stuff all in one. Um, yeah, I mean, dude, I had a, I had a lot of friends that didn't have much. I remember popping my friends off to houses with like no power or running water. So they'd like come stay with me when we were growing up and that just continued. Wow. Yeah, it just really continued. And I mean, there's there's a lot of families that did that. But I just remember my mom and dad would always just take care of my friends and my sister's kids that needed stuff. So it was just kind of like a learned 
behavior to like look out for other people, you know? Right. Right. Um, I saw your post. It was either yesterday or today about with your mom, um, yeah. you know, yeah. and just how much you loved her and how she, you know, she never let you settle as an individual. I, I loved your post. It was, um, you know, for our listeners that aren't following Dylan yet, as of yet, they'll be following tomorrow. But, uh, you know, he did a post that said, you know, when he got an associate's degree, his mom looked at him and said, Hey, I am so proud of you, but when are you going to get your bachelor's degree? And when he got his bachelor's degree, she said, Hey, when are you going to get your master's? Um, so your mom's mom's a big part of your life. Then. Big yeah, sure. I, I think it had to do with her. Um, she, she didn't grow up with much either, you know, so she knew what it was like to have to kind of to work for stuff, you know? So we were, me and my sisters were all, we always had what we needed, but we also had to work for anything else that we wanted, you know, whether it was like the first vehicle or to go out and do stuff kids get to do. Like we had, we had to earn it and it was like never given to us. So, man, I would say like a lot of what I do now is I have to contribute back to my mom and dad just growing up and where I grew up, you know, there was really no, you know, athletic kids rich kids poor kids we were just all kids in the same setting you know i had a lot of friends that were black green brown and we just all you know yeah yeah we were just all living living the life here in here in oklahoma um dude school wasn't hard for me but i think it also had to do with just smaller schools aren't that you know difficult back then there was like no computers so i'd probably like still be in high school if i had to like over again um me too man i i I can't turn on you know i still stay the interweb you know (laughs) the kind of thing so yeah Yeah. my my kids make fun of me all day long so yeah i um my senior year i asked i didn't you know we're kind of kids are kind of pushed to go do college like no matter what you know and our counselor back then really didn't even know who we were as people. I went in and took this test. It took me like 10 minutes and it was like, yeah, you should go into like law enforcement or be a welder. And I'm like, shit, like that took like, okay, that's my career. But I just knew that wasn't for me, man. And, um, you know, I got accepted into a college. So it was like a cool moment for my mom. You know, she's like, Oh yeah, you're going to college. And, Dude, the first week there, I just knew it wasn't for me. Um, really? I was, yeah, I was, I was young and felt like I'd been in school long enough. I needed something like it just wasn't, it just wasn't for me, man. And that's when probably the most like pivotal moment was I could have just like stuck it out and you know, made my parents struggle to eat debt just so I could be a college graduate and all of this. And it's weird because yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I was, dude, I was sitting, um, I was sitting in class and I made the decision that I was just going to like drop out, you know, like it just wasn't my thing. And back then there was like no smartphones. It was like the razors, you know, like the flip things. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I remember specifically getting up out of this class and the professor was like, uh, Hey, I'll email you your work that you're going to miss or whatever. And I was like, well, I'm not going to be back. I'm withdrawing. And she was like, Oh, you're going to fucking ruin your life. Like, why would you do this? And I'm thinking, damn, maybe she's right. But then I got to my truck and my mom had texted me like, I'm so proud of you. Like this and that. I'm like, Oh shit, this is not going to, 
this is not going to end well, you know? So, so she was I, saying that before she knew you were dropping out. Yeah. It was like one of those dates, but it was like, man, um, I always tell kids and people now, like the, the universe will, will speak to you, but sometimes it's, it's not what you necessarily like want to hear, but it's like, Oh what? yeah. That's so truth like, right there, man. So it's like, damn, like, I'm college is cool. You know, there's girls and stuff, but it just wasn't for me. And man, another thing is, dude, I've never wanted to be one of those kids that made mom and dad like pay for anything. Like I wasn't going to let my mom pay for rent this and seeing her working in a hospital and then trying to like help me pay rent. Like I didn't want to be one of those kids and I just, dude, I couldn't do it. So yeah, I sent her a text and I was like, oh, it's going great. I actually dropped out. And then she proceeded to call me like 2,000 times, damn near like blowing my phone up. Uh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. Um, yeah, she finally called me and she's like, tell me you're joking. And I was just basically told her, you know, like, it just isn't me like right now. Like, it's just not what I want to do. You know, I just feel like there's more. And I just want to, like, go see what's out there. I just want to, like, you know, go – I, I'm young, and I want to go live a little. And then she was like, well, what are you going to do? And then that's when I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. And then I passed a little recruiter station, and I was like, maybe I should just go in the military, you know? So it was never like – I wish it was a badass story. Like, my dad was on SEAL Team 6, and from the age of – bred me to be a frogman. It was literally, like – I didn't have another option and I knew it would provide like what I wanted. Like it pushed me out of my comfort zone and I would, I would have to face the world alone. And that's kind of what I wanted back then, you know, like I wanted to be detached from what I've known and I wanted to kind of like just be pushed out of my comfort zone to where I knew I was the only person that I would have to rely on. And I also didn't want, my mom stressing just so yeah. I could college degree, you know, I just, so. that. that's kind of the same thing for me when I, <clears throat> I had, um, my girlfriend got pregnant in high school, you know, and, and, uh, as I was, she got pregnant in the middle of my senior year. So and she was a year behind me and, you know, it was like one of those things I'm adopted. My mom, my mother, my birth mother was super young and, you know, and I always said, you know, I, one of the things I always wanted to be was a dad. So right. I said, I'm not, you know, the adoption thing isn't for me. I'm going to stand by this. I'm going to marry this girl. And, you know, and, and I was hanging out with the wrong crowd, man. It was the same kind of thing, a little bit different, but, you know, I just said there, if I stay here, I'm not going to be a good, you know, the person I want to be today, you know, and, and, and I, you know, it's the same thing. I said, I got to get out of here. I got to go see something. I got to be, own I got to take care of my kids and my you know my former wife and you know right. same kind of thing I, I I hear you on that man it's like you know and what's funny about college too I mean I'm jumping subjects but uh, my dad I actually grew up on air force bases my dad's a air, career air force guy and uh we lived in England for a long time and um in England it, not everybody they don't unlike the United States, they don't force everybody to, not every kid goes to college. Yeah. You know, they kind of look at it like you're saying, like, you know what, most 18 year olds or 17 year olds don't know what they want to do, let alone have the, 
you know, wherewithal to go do another four years of school. I mean, we, we push a lot of kids in America to go straight to, like you said, you got to go to college, you got to get a job, you got to do it. Um, and in England, do they, you know, you got to have high qualifications to get into university. They don't, they, and they, I think it's, I mean, I don't know the percentage. I'm not going to throw a number out there, but, a, a, you know, a big part of their youth, if you don't go to university, you go to like a trade school, you learn a trade. Yeah. And, and that's how you, we find a trade that you're interested in and you go do internships and you do that kind of stuff, trying to figure out what you want to do rather than, I'm just going to go to college because I'm 18 and I know what I want to do for the rest of my life. I'm 45. I don't know what I want to do for the rest of my life. You know, I don't understand why we ask, you know, different kids. You probably can relate to this too. I have five kids, all five of them learn differently, respond differently. You know, I have one that dropped out of college twice. He's in the army now. Same, same story. You know, I got another one that's thriving in college, you know, they all learn differently. They all have different personalities. And, you know, yep. I, think, I think the world's different than it was in, you know, 1980, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. So. So you yeah. go to the recruiter. Yeah. You pick the right door. You didn't go in that weird Marine door or the even weirder Navy door. Yeah. The Marine creepy vibes. Like, he's going to try to kiss me or some shit, you know? So I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So, I, I understand. <laughs> now I went and, um, dude, really, it came down to like the army could just get me out of there the quickest. Yeah. You know, I was. What MOS it. did you do? Uh, I was just a supply dude, man. Really? Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's exactly who we want to talk to and like the things you've accomplished. Yeah. I mean, I got to, I mean, I did like, I, I made like the, the all army combatives team with like first ID. And so like, I got to do like some cool stuff, but I was going to use it as just like a, a stepping stone to see what it was like and then figure out what I wanted to do, you know, after that. So yeah, that was, I didn't know, dude, I wasn't one of the, I didn't know anything about the military, man. I wasn't one of the ones that was bred to do it or looked up and researched all this shit. I had no, I had no clue back then. Like I didn't look any of it up. I just went in there and I was like, cool, I'll do this. And then of course they were like, well, you can like reclass MOSs at a certain point or this and that. And I was like, I mean, I'm cool. I'll just see what this is like. And then <laughs> right right yeah what's, just, the, what's the first ticket out of here yeah they was like they was like telling me shit i'm like i don't even know what this means cool you can be an e1 e2 i'm like fuck i don't even know what that means but yeah that's all awesome. i'll be an e1 thank you great yeah yeah, yeah I, dude i was in and out quick man like no cool going away party like i was just just pop smoke and then i'm sure you can relate when you like wake up the first day of boot camp, you're like, what the hell did I do? Like, whoa. But a part of me was like, cool, this is this is what I wanted to feel, you know, like kind of right, you know, out of my comfort zone. So yeah, I got stationed uh first first infantry division, Fort Riley, was where I went active duty, oh. obviously. Oh man, sorry. Fun. Did you did you like Riley? Dude, it's weird because it's like 
all these places you can go, we're going to send you like three hours north from Oklahoma. Yeah, I was going to say, it's it's a, just a... Yeah. It's flat plains between Fort Riley and your house. Yeah, so, man, it was... It was cool, man. We, um... When when I when I actually took time to read about the army, which my dumbass should have done before signing up for the army, I learned there was like all tight, you know, like the MMA part and like all of this. I shit, I should have looked up, but I was young and stupid. But I mean, I don't, I don't regret it, you know, because I just did whatever I had to do. So yeah, I got stationed there, and then um, I think within like a year and a when I got there, the, the unit and like the, they were just standing up to like go deploy. We were like first brigade. So like the entire first year I got there and it was like super small. And then we just started like building up, getting more troops in there to get ready for deployment. And then we did the NTC shit, which sucked. And, um, then we, yeah, we deployed to Krakuk, Iraq, FOB warrior. Uh-huh. So we did that. What kind I mean, of unit? What kind of unit were you in? Uh, we were in a. Uh, I we were in a support battalion, and we were mostly like med- like medics and stuff. Oh, okay, all right. Like, yeah, we. I was a cavalry scout, so there's a lot of cav guys that are. That's the home of the cavalry. You know the yeah, the dude, cavalry. Yeah. So when I first got there, we had um, dude, we had a bunch of uh, cav scouts. You know, get like put there and then i think once they realized what we were building up to do over there they started getting sent to like different brigades and was like deploying yeah. stuff like that so yeah a little yeah. small fact the fort riley's the last place that they had horsed cavalry they retired yeah. they retired all the the remaining horses from the horse cavalry there yeah they yeah. i think they used to i've been there before it was like a little cavalry museum like the old school <laughs> cav museum is there and yeah. The big red one, right? Yeah, the big red one, man. Yeah. So when I was in Germany, they were over in Germany and then they reflagged after I got out. I'm a little older than you, but the they reflagged at Fort Riley after I left. So I was in first armored division oh. and it was first armored division and first infantry division over in Europe back in the day. Oh. So gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, when I was there, I think General Brooks was in Oh yeah. General Brooks was running. He did it when I got there. He came like a year later. Did the whole chain of command thing, and then or change of command, and then he took it over. And then a lot of the, I think like second, third brigade deployed to Afghanistan, and first brigade was like all going to like Iraq to pretty much like shut shit down, like start basically right. get back, you know. So yeah, I mean. I it seemed like my time just flew by like that you know I didn't do a lot of years just the standard like four year whatever month was and man it was just I liked the army but I didn't like having like control of my life you know that could be a problem (laughs) yeah yeah and dude I think I think a lot of it was um it's just like anything I was around some good leaders and some bad ones and uh and you know that from being in way longer than me it's kind of like you're rolling the dice like you reclass you do this you go to this school you may have some you may have an ncoic that's cool as shit or you may have like a dickhead and then you're stuck with 
not like you can quit Walmart. Like you're, and man, for me, I just, I knew it was like a chapter of my life. Like I knew it was a big stepping stone. Like for sure. Like it, it helped figure out the next step, but that's when I knew that I was, you know, wanting to get out and pursue college and all that. But I, I had no clue what I wanted to do college, you know? So, so you were what, 22, 22-ish when you got out? Yeah, 20, like 23. 23? Oh, yeah, because you went to a little bit of college. Yeah. 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 So I, um, man, I've, I always wanted to do like psychology and stuff like that. I just didn't know, um, I didn't know what, how I wanted, I didn't, I like talking to people and like, I've always been that dude that hasn't had like a lot of like major girl issues and shit, you know, fortunately. So like people would always naturally come to me about just normal stuff. I I think it has to do with like my mom being a nurse and seeing her like always helping people. Yeah. Yeah. I I wanted to do something like that, but like I'm point blank too fucking dumb to do anything like med school or nursing school for sure. So yeah, I was like, man, I'll just do like, there's like a little community college, you know, and I'll, I'll start there and start taking like college classes and then kind of seeing how it, you know, unfolds. And then that's when I was, once I, the more I got into like the core of like college, I was like, I want to work with like younger kids that have like gone through like maybe childhood trauma or just need, you know, a solid, foundation because i seen a lot of my friends suffer because they didn't have anybody you know so i was like man if i could like work with kids that would be super cool whether it's kids that have been like traumatized or kids that just come from shit homes like i would like to work with kids you know so that's kind of where it but the thing was once i started getting closer to like finishing college I didn't have any experience like working with kids or counseling. So I knew I needed to like have something on my resume. And right. uh, yeah, my friend told me, Hey man, yeah, there's this juvenile center. It's fucking nuts. Like they're always beating up staff and they're rioting and kids are like court order to be there. There's barbed wire. It's nuts. And I'm like, I got to go sign up for that. Like that's where I want to, that's, <laughs> that, that's, that's where I want to work, you know? Cause, um, I was, those are the types of kids that I wanted to work with, you know, cause I could have been one of those kids if it wasn't for my mom. And a lot of my friends went down that path just because they didn't have someone like my mom, you know, no, no stable role model. And yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I didn't even, I still didn't know then what I wanted to do like long-term. I just knew it would like give me a good start. Yeah. That's where I. That's where I got my feet wet, man. Working at a juvenile center ran by the state of Oklahoma. That's awesome. That's where you're. I'm, I'm opening your book. I, I took some notes in your book. Uh, so, listeners, uh, Dylan Dylan's written a couple books, but his most recent one is a short story called Awakened, and that's kind of where your story starts in the book. Is that that job? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Where you're where you're working at this detention facility and. Uh, one thing I, I highlighted, man, and I thought this was, this was kind of what you're talking about right now is 
uh, and I'm going to quote your book, but it says, quote, I wrote this book in hopes of empowering others to continue their path of most resistance. I say most resistance because there is no growth in the comfort zone. And I thought that was such an intelligent and catchy way to say that. Like, I mean, because how much stuff do you do in a day, no matter what you're doing, whether it's McDonald's, whether it's the army, whether it's counseling kids, how many people out there are, are clocking in and taking the path of least resistance? You know, I mean, I don't know how many times, how many podcasts, how many self-help books you can read, listen to that, you know, it's all about, you know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. The hard right. things are not easy. That's why they're called hard things, right? You know, and I just thought, I thought that was such an, an, an empowering statement. You know, when I was reading it, I, I immediately highlighted that bit. I just, I thought that was crazy, you know, and, and so talk to us a little bit about, so you get to the detention center and you were, yeah. telling, you were telling this story about you got assigned to like the D block, right? Where, where nobody <laughs> wanted to. You know, kind of take us through that, like where you, so, you got the roughest of the roughest. Nobody wanted to work there, but you kind of took a different approach, right? Yeah. So when I first got there, they have like two different jobs I could start out with. One is like it's called a youth guidance specialist, which is basically like a glorified babysitter where you're just with the kids on the unit, taking them back because they're court ordered to be there. So there's serious charges, you know, and then you get right. assigned that has like 17 to 20 kids. But then you may have to go work another unit. So what are the age I, ranges? Um, the youngest, I think I ever worked with was 12 and then they go up oh, to nine. Wow. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So when I got there, they're like, are you going to be security? And I'm like, no, I want to do the uh, other thing. And they're like, you should be fucking security. Like you have tattoos. I'll be fucking terrified of you. Like, that's what you do. And I'm like, no, I need at least a year. Yeah. You're a big dude. <laughs> I was like, I want to, I want to do like count. I want to, Cause they, the security people automatically thought like, yeah, you ready to slam kids? I'm like, no, like, I'm ready to like talk to them and like help them. And they're like, oh yeah. Like thinking I'm joking around. I'm like, no, that's what I'm going to school for. Like I want uh, some experience. So they're like, oh, okay. So yeah, my, you know, they give you like a four week training and it's all the same shit, you know, like, listen, these kids ain't fucking here. Cause they sing too loud in choir. Here's what you need to do. Go in there and let them know. And I'm thinking like, okay, I'll fake it to make it for this training, but I'm not going to use this approach because it's just not, it's not going to work. And these are all people that have been like programmed by the system that's been there for that long. And it's like, that's why shit doesn't change because I was like doing the same approach. So I knew right out of the gate, I wasn't going to take that approach, but a part of me was like, what if it doesn't work? And I, a riot kicked off and I'm like, well, I mean, Really, I was just going to be me, you know? I mean, I, I know how to not get um, hustled by kids. Like, I'm not a female. I mean, I'm not dumb, you know? Like, so, yeah, we finally got loose, got cut loose. And on a unit, there's only two workers, you, someone else, and then usually, like, the unit manager, you know? So, right. yeah, I mean, dude, I basically, like, worked on all the units starting out. And, um dude, it just came so natural for me, like working with those kids. Like when it was time to eat, the staff would like always sit at their own table and like, I would go eat with the kids and just like bullshit with them, you know, like simple shit you'd probably do or any, any veteran, 
I mean, a lot of the vets that worked there, we took the same approach, you know? So dude, it, it just, it was natural for me because I seen it growing up from my mom and dad to just be a good human. And a lot of those kids I related to, cause I could see a lot of like my best friends in those kids. And I knew the types of environments they came from because I've seen my friends live in it, you know, like I've been there with them. So man, for me, it was like natural. So once I did that for a year, I got promoted to like one of the trainers that goes around and trains the new class on how to like handle kids, how to talk to kids and, you know, stuff like that. Right. Oh yeah. And then I was still in college full time, which sucked because the facilities are like, you know, it's a 24 seven job. And if someone doesn't show up for their shift, you're there for like, <laughs> it could be, uh, there's days I'd go in at 2 PM to 10. And then there's some days I'd stay from like 2 PM to like 1 PM the next day because people didn't show up for their shifts. And then I was still in college full time, but college professors don't like give a shit, you know? Right. It's, right. It's funny because I literally like finished my final capstone project at like 3 a.m. hammered off a bunch of like monsters and Red Bull inside my office at the facility because like I could I had no like other choice, you know. So once I did the once I did that job, a spot came open to where I was uh, the juvenile justice specialist that ran like the entire unit, like the treatment side and all of that. That basically took ownership of all the kids. So I was like, yeah, I got to apply. I got to apply for this one, you know? So I applied for that and I got it. And I was like, I want to go to unit 319, which was like the worst unit, you know? But dude, I spent time building a relationship with those kids, you know? And I just seen the negative leadership that was going on there. And I, I just, I was naive, but I knew I could like have an impact there, you know? So that's the unit that I, I took over, man. And I just took the opposite approach of what most workers did. I called the kids in there and I was like, look, y'all's in a shitty situation. Are most of you in this situation because you wanted to be idiots and do the wrong thing? Yup. Are some of you in this situation because you had no other route to take due to unfortunate circumstances? hundred percent. But what matters is we're both stuck here right now. And I don't know, I don't know how everyone's treated you prior to me, but I'm going to let you know, like how I'm going to treat you. So the first thing I did was, it wasn't like, here's how it's going to be. This is it. I literally said, Hey, go around in a group and tell me how I can serve you like the best. Like, how can I make this situation better? What needs to be worked on as a unit? And you can tell they'd never been asked that, you know? I was, gonna, so, I was gonna ask you, how did they respond to that? Were they just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then some of the staff are like looking at me like, oh shit. But that's what I wanted them to see. Like, this is the way. Like, there's a time to be tough, but you can still tough love, you know? Like, you don't have to be a fucking dick. So, yeah, after that, man, um, I got to like pick some of my staff too. Uh, this another army vet, this Puerto Rican dude, Baez, was just batshit crazy. Been in like 30 years and was like, man, fuck this shit, man. I'm a fucking soldier like that kind of. I was like, that's the dude because he's not going to try to write these kids up. Like he's going to talk real 
real talk yeah. to him. But yeah, man, we uh, dude, we we really turned that unit around, and um, it, dude, it 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 takes a toll on you because you you call their families to let them know about court dates coming up, and you don't get a hold of anyone, or you take them to court and like their family doesn't show up, and oh, they're just. Man. Yeah, and they're just caught in this cycle. And um yeah, man, we just took our we took our own approach. Like I told all the new staff, like, look, we're gonna take the humanistic approach. Like let your personality sh- like show through. You know, that's what these kids need. Like we had an older woman, and I'm like, you're like the fucking grandma to me. Like, be the grandma, like it's cool. And then we can fill in when shit gets crazy and we need to like dial it, you know, turn turn it up a little bit. But dude, we kept that balance. And that's how we like, man, some of the staff still, still text me like, man, we miss those days because we enjoyed like coming to work, man. Cause well, we probably, live- yeah, it probably makes a, I would imagine a, a more um, a enjoyable workplace for you too. I mean, just not having to be there all day long, acting like a babysitter and just yelling at kids. And that's got right. a train on you. I and can imagine. And a lot of the workers that were toxic, they came from, silver spoons right yeah. they were credit cards so they, they don't understand how to talk to these kids so yeah it, it's funny man you'll you you show up at the facility and see some of the workers like standing there with their arms crossed and then you'd see like my tattooed ass like playing football with them like talking shit like damn y'all suck like spiking the ball like hanging out with them gets just yeah. the, that's were the you were you as tat, tatted up as you are now Oh yeah, hundred percent was the funniest part, man. Because everyone else was like opposite, and then I show up and I'm like, "Are you like part of the like prison release group?" Or yeah, no. are you supposed to wait? Are you supposed to be? Are you are you court ordered to be here? <laughs> yeah. I get a lot, so I I have full sleeves. I don't have as much tattoos as you do. Our listeners, if when you check out Dylan, you'll see his tattoos on his Instagram. But he's, I mean, neck neck down. I mean, he's covered uh full tattoos well, i have i have sleeves but uh yeah. a lot of times you're in a business environment and people look at you real weird until you start talking and you know what you're talking about and then you know and then they kind of go oh all right you know well, dude, yeah it's it, well i remember when i applied for that position they're like well you know you gotta have like a degree i'm like i went to college they're like oh oh we didn't mean it like that that's cool i mean you <laughs> it's but yeah man um Long story short, dude, those kids became like my kids. You know, I we had we had good relationships with those kids. What it came down to was, um, I was just a part of this toxic system, and I, it's got to be frustrating to see. I mean, because it's almost like the prison system, right? Where there are some success stories, but the majority of them are not, right? Yeah, I had a I had a kid that worked the program and I wrote this fancy thing saying he did all this treatment programs, all this, like he's ready to be out. And they're like, yeah, we agree, but we don't have a kid coming in for another 30 days. So keep him there so we can keep getting that funding like that. And that's when I was like, man, I can't. I can't do it, you know, and um, you got to be kidding me. Nah, no, nah, man. Trust me, stuff like that. I've seen kids get written up for like saying fuck, and then it's a major rule violation, and then they end up doing time in prison because they were there for like serious charges. But it's a staff that doesn't even like who they are as a person, so they take it out. Like that's that's 
the environment, just like you said, in prisons, but prisons, that's the last stop. It don't matter. Like the juvenile centers, they're there because they're either going to prison or they're going to get out. And like, I was the last line of defense. Me and my staff was to make sure that we gave them the best tools to at least help them help themselves. You know, like I was really literally fighting to keep kids out of prison, but also to make sure once they got released, they could stay like on the straight and narrow. So like it, man, it, that's, that's what it came down to. And, um, yeah, I remember like calling a, calling a meeting with the kids and letting them know like, Hey, um, cause man, it was, I was going to end up like slapping the shit out of someone. I remember, um, and not a kid, you were going to hit somebody on the staff. I, I remember this like high person from the facility, like came in and was like talking all sideways and my kids and, uh, just man so i i called him out like in person like look dude you gotta like i'm not gonna let you talk to him like that you know and he got like super upset about it so the first thing i'm thinking is like i could smack the shit out of you anyways but i'm like dude this is like this isn't gonna end well because the type of person i am is like dude i like getting promoted and i like money but I have morals and like ethics, you know, like I couldn't look at myself if I kept being a part of that and letting stuff like that happen. But at the same time, I knew if I wanted to do a career in this, I couldn't stay there because I was going to get myself in trouble and it was just going to like take too much out of me. So it was literally like breaking up with a soulmate I never even had. (laughs) Oh man, I can't even imagine just the attachments you make. You know, when you're a human being, and and honestly, I think veterans have, generally veterans have a different approach to, to like you're talking about in those situations. You know, when you, when you get thrown into a platoon, yeah. you're going into a platoon with people from all different walks of life. You know, I, I always thought that was the most odd thing at basic training was when looking back at it, you know. I, I met white people that didn't know, had never met a black person. I met black guys that never met a white person. You know, I met Hispanic guys that didn't speak English. I met, you know, a super smart Asian kid. And, you know, I mean, it was, it's, it really is, the military really is the melting pot of what America should be. And I think, you know, we were forced to, regardless of your background, you're forced to learn how to deal with different people and, and have respect and everybody comes from a different walk of life and you know a hundred percent man and um yeah i mean all there was a lot of solid staff there but they were at the level to where they couldn't change the the leadership you know they couldn't change the culture like they couldn't well you're you're talking about a state-run facility too it's like trying to turn you know it's trying to turn an aircraft carrier around you know it's it's just not an easy task it's it's and it's it's probably an impossible task you could have stayed there for 50 years and not yeah so man do anything and that's that's how i got into uh to teaching was i left there which was like a super hard decision to make. But what's sad is a lot of the staff knew why I was leaving and a lot of the kids knew it. But um, I, I, I wouldn't be able to like provide what they really needed. They would never, it's not going to happen, you know? And it's yeah. bad. For, I don't want to sound like selfish, but I knew that was like another big chapter in my life that I 
learned something from it and I knew there was like something else that was going to come of it. Like I knew when I was working there, I loved it, but I also knew there was something else. I just didn't know what it was. Like you said, like you got to be out of your comfort zone. So I had this decent paying job for Oklahoma and then I accepted a job teaching like in Oklahoma, Oklahoma's dead last when it comes to teacher pay, like it's dead last and funding. So I'm like, this was back before only fans even started. So I was like, am I going to have to like strip for money or what am I going to have to do? <laughs> so this, um, Hey, 20 yeah. bucks is 20 bucks, man. You know, yeah. you got to do yeah. what you got to do. Yeah. So, um, my mom was like, what are you going to do next? And I'm like, I don't know because I liked what I was doing, but I couldn't do it environment you know like i couldn't i was gonna literally like i consider those kids like my own kids and i wasn't gonna let people come in there and like you know yeah treat treat them like that how how long did you so how long were you at the facility i was there for right at three years man and then you went to teaching so did you go were you teaching at a high school yeah so i let i i quit that job and I didn't have a job lined up and it's because I knew like dude I was going to end up going to prison for beating up one of those higher up people you know so um this like uh this lady I knew growing up she's like hey we're hiring at the high school and I'm thinking what the fuck I have no idea about like teaching and coaching and she's like Oh, like we need you, you know, which is, it's cool because it's like my hometown. It's where I went to high school at. And I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, there's like, what in the world? And my mom, and like my mom, like I'm a product of my mom, but my mom wants to see me like, you know, in a nice house making money. Cause those are things she like never had. So she was like, you're a, no, no, you're not going to be a teacher in Oklahoma you must have lost your mind. Like you're going to like, you're going to make no money. And I'm like, I was like, I'll at least like talk to the principal about the position, you know? So I call them and I'm like, look, I have tattoos and they're like, and you got to think this is back before they're acceptable now, but back then in the Bible belt, not at all. So I call them. I'm like, hey, I have tattoos. And they're like, oh, it's fine. We have teachers. This lady has like a forearm tattoo in this. And I'm like, roger that. Cool. If you like me, cool. Dude, I showed up for that interview and they like, do you know who I was? They're like, oh, who are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm Dylan Cooper. Like, oh, okay. uh, What do you need? It's like, I'm here for my interview. You're like, oh, uh, (laughs) oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, man, um, dude. Wawoka, a lot of the kids I worked with at the facility has a lot of kids like that, you know, kids that have, you know, a good heart. They just don't have a good support system at home, you know, not all are like that, but there's a lot of them. So like teaching at Wawoka has always been challenging for teachers because they've never been around that type of kids, kind of like at the juvenile center, you know, so Yeah, the, the principal was super cool, man. He was like, dude, I know you've been, like, working at the facility. I know you're going to be able to, like, relate to these kids. So, literally, man, he gave me, like, the keys to the school. Like, what do you think we could do here? 
So I was like, might do my first year. I was teaching psychology and I was running the alternative education department. I was a strength and conditioning coach. And I was like one of the assistant football coaches. So it's like, and I didn't go to school. I didn't go to college for teaching. And it's like, here you go. Class starts in like two weeks. I'm like, hell yeah, this is awesome. Like I was so, I was, I was so excited, man. And um, yeah, they'd never had like, a coach that actually like worked out with him, you know? So the principal was like, yeah, kids don't work out during the summer. They can kind of come and go. And I'm like, no, nah, it's not going to work. Like we're going to work out at like five 30 AM, like every day in the summer. Oh and yeah. He, and he was basically like, yeah, you're fucking crazy. That's not going to happen. And I was like, it's going to happen here because I'm going to be working out with them. If I got to pick them up, I'll pick them up. And if you like track back on my first like Instagram post, it was all of us, the same kids I'm with now that just graduated at like 5 a.m. in this dungeon ass weight room at our school, you know, because I, I took the same approach like I did to facility, like, dude, leadership one on one. If I tell you to like work out at 530 a.m., I'm going to be there running. I'm running. If I'm doing if you're doing pull ups, I'm doing pull ups like I want to build the trust that I had at the facility here. And it was cool because it's like these kids now I can help them from getting to the point of the facility, you know? And that's yeah. when I like, that's when I was like, um, yeah, like I see why the juvenile center didn't work out for me. My first year, it was horrible, man. Cause you make no money. Like you make no money, but and then after my first year was when my dumbass realized like that wasn't it either. Like that wasn't my end goal. And that sucked as well. Cause it's like you said, it's not, there's no growth in the comfort zone. So my, my first, is that when you did the self audit? Is that, I mean, you, yeah. have, a, you have a chapter called the self audit and I'm big on, I always say, if you've listened to our podcast, I'm always saying that, self de self deception is the easiest thing to do and real self evaluation is the hardest thing to do so to to sit down and truly listen you know go over in your mind or write it down on a piece of paper whatever it is to say this is who i am and this is who i want to be or this is who i think i am is a is a it, i struggle with it i it you is. know it's the most difficult thing for a human being to do especially uh, um, alpha male, I think alpha males don't want to, you don't want to be told and you don't want to realize that you may not be who you think you are. Dude, you know? For sure, man. And, um, yeah. So I just, like you said, I did, I did the audit and it's not what I wanted it to be. I, um, teaching was going to be my, my stepping stone to figure out what I wanted to do next. Cause I didn't go to school for like education or to be a teacher or coach. I went to school for like psychology and all that. So this was just like to buy time to figure out what I wanted to do next. But then I realized like, dude, I love working with these kids. Like this is where I feel the most fulfillment. Like I enjoy this shit so much. This is what I want to do. Like, this is what I was put here to do. Like, that's how I felt. And I was like, I loved it at the facility, but it was kind of too late. They're part of the system. I couldn't work with them the way I wanted to. Now I'm here. And then at the school, it was like the same thing, man. Um, 
dude wanting to take kids home with you, you know? And it's like, there's not enough time in the day during the school, Monday through Friday, you're done at three 30. Like, and I seen so many kids with like potential, like, dude, if I could just fucking work with these kids more, if I could just, if I could take these kids home. And that's when I was like, Oh, I'll just build my own. I'll just build my own facility where I can work with kids on my own terms. And then that's just, that's how it all came to life was that day. But it, it sucked because I knew what it was going to take. So I went to the school board and I'm like, look, our poverty rate's like 40%. It's a small town. There's no YMCA's, movie theaters, boys and girls club. There's nothing. So these kids that are stuck in those negative environments, once they go back from school, they're right back to it. And they can't perform in school. Like they're not, they're not giving a fighter's chance because they go back to those bad environments versus kids that have good homes. It's not a big deal. But I was like, until we provide something for these kids outside of school, they're never going to have the chance to be successful in school or after school. And I was basically told, yeah, it's a good idea, but it's just like too much money. It's a small town and this and that. So that's when I was like, you know what? I'll build my own facility from the ground up and I basically got laughed at and was like yeah good luck with that shit and I was like yeah this is gonna suck but it was again like you said it wasn't what I wanted to hear and it didn't fall in my lap it wasn't like oh thank you and here's fifty thousand dollars it was like okay the universe the higher power gave me this vision I know this is what I'm what I was put here to do and I also know I have like fucking $20 in my bank account and I make no money. But at the same time, I'm like, fuck yeah. Like I was so excited. And like, yeah. like you said, like, it's not fun. Like there's no, I tell people you can do the daily affirmations and all that, but until you're re- until you're like ready to like really suffer for whatever it is, dude, none of that stuff matters. And at that point, like, I knew that's what I was, like, put here to do, you know? That's why. So, yeah, yeah. after I bought it, that day was when I realized, look, I don't know what type of facility it's going to be, but I'm going to make it to where kids can be there outside of school. They won't have to pay any money. Parents won't have to pay any money. I'll be able to do martial arts with them because that's been a big part of my life weightlifting and all the counseling and all that it's going to be fucking all in one and we're going to prepare kids for the real shit they're going to go to go against in life and it's going to be all for fucking free there's going to be curriculums and the criteria they have to meet but every kid that walks through there they're not going to have to worry about anything money water food nothing and nobody's going to come in there and like do any harm to them because I'm going to be right there. And that's just what it's going to be. Like, it's going to be my own house outside of. Right. Outside right. Of, yeah. Well, it just, you know, I want to quote your, I want to quote one more thing in your book. Um, you know, kind of following up to your comment you just made about your thoughts where it was, this isn't going to be easy, um, yeah. but you made a decision. This is what I need to do. And I know there's going to be steps. Part of your book, and again, I'm quoting your book. Uh, you said, I, I have always believed the expression, life is too short. Now that I have lived a little, I no longer believe in that concept. In my opinion, life is too long. 
Life is entirely way too long to wake up each day investing your time and energy into something not offering an ounce of fulfillment or happiness in return. So to me, I take away from that. I get chills reading that because it might be a little controversial, you know, I mean, and you go in to talk about, Hey, I'm not trying to offend people that have lost someone or have died too early. That's not my point. Your point is, is that we are here on earth for X amount of years and happiness isn't in the easy things. Happiness can't be bought. Happiness, happiness is finding, you know, it's finding your, 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 your passion and finding what it is that you're meant, you know, whatever it is, higher power, God, whatever it is that, Right. Tells you what your mission is accomplishing that mission and watching the results of that mission is what brings happiness. And I agree with you hundred percent life is too long, like to be here grinding away at something every day. Cause you think that's what we're supposed to do or, or what social media tells you is that's what you're supposed to do. Grind away, whatever that is, grind away at something that brings you joy. If you're yeah. going to grind, grind yeah. at that. Cause it is, it is, it's too long to, to not be happy. I mean, and you know, and look, we're all, we're all teenagers at one point. We're all young twenties at, at one point, I, you know, I'm sitting in a chair of a 45 year old guy that's been through, you know, X amount of experiences. So I can look back and say, you know, these, you know, it, it's easy to say life isn't about money. Right. When, when you're looking backwards, it's easier to say that, you know, when you're young, I I get it, I guess. Right. But if you're listening and you're young, the sooner you can find your, your passion and, and your calling, you know, make that decision to make that your goal. Because I mean, you're listening to a guy right now tell you, you know, he didn't do it for the money. I promise you that. I mean, I, you know, yeah. You're doing this to help young men and young women be better people. Yeah, it, dude, it, once I came to that realization and drove my mom nuts, you know, because, you know, veteran with honorable discharge, college, graduate, all of this, I could have popped smoke and went and just did something else. But it was like, I knew I was put there to like do that. And I'm all about leaving stuff better than like what I found it. And then I asked myself, my first book, I asked myself, like, if not me, then who? Like, if I don't do this for these kids, who else do it? Nobody. I know because I grew up there. I went to school there. It's never been done and it's not going to. Not because people don't care, but because it's not what they're passionate about. You can't fake passion. Like, you can talk all this you want, but at the end of it, People that are passionate about something are willing to like suffer and sacrifice way more than anyone else because you feel something differently. So for me, that was a beautiful moment and a shitty moment all in one. And I just smiled because I'm like, this is going to suck so bad. (laughs) Literally like, oh, yeah, and mom, can I borrow like $80 because like I'm not making any money teaching, you know? So Made some hot dogs and ramen. So yeah, so dude, that day was when I um I made I made the declaration to like me and my kids, and I was like, don't worry, and I still have like the Facebook thing I posted years ago, like hey, I'm gonna do this, 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 and 
for everyone that was like, fuck yeah. Everyone else was like, good luck. It's going to be challenging this and that. Like I fucking read that thing all the time because it was so many years ago, but I feel like it was just yesterday, you know? So I had no idea about raising money, how to get one of these things up and going, but I had experience working with kids. And like you said, in the military, you treat everyone the same. It doesn't matter like who you are, where you're from. My experience at the juvenile center, college, all of that, it's when it came together. And I'm like, how cool is it that I'm back in my hometown and this is where I'm going to do all this? And after that, I never felt like there was something else missing. I was like, this is it. Like, it's not teaching and coaching. It's not counseling and all that at the center. It's this. This is what I was full-heartedly put here to carry out. It just sucked because I wasn't given a shit ton of money to carry it out. <laughs> so, so, yeah, man, I just literally – when people ask me, like, did you have someone do your business plan? Did you have this? I'm, dude, I'm a, I'm a fucking, I'm a redneck kid that grew up in the middle of Oklahoma that's a veteran. Like, I Googled shit, I wrote down my plan on a whiteboard, and then I executed it. Like, it was that simple, man. Like, I didn't, okay, I need a building. Okay, find a building to buy. Ask him how much it is. Now you have to raise that much money. And that's literally... I found this building downtown where we're at now and it was perfect because kids have access to it. They can walk to it. They can get there no matter where they are within 15 to 20 minutes. What I also liked it about it is if you go down to the left, you can buy any type of drug you want. If you go a few blocks to the right, you can buy any type of drug you want. So for me, it was like, I'm at least providing an alternative that's never been there before. And I knew okay, that's the building that I'm going to buy at some point. So I met with the realtor. She gave me a number, and I'm like, yup, I'm about to be stripping my ass off because I have no idea how to get that much cash. So, uh, so yeah, man. Oh, I, man. And if people look at my some of my posts where I share, like, old photos of the building, dude, it was so – I've seen them, yeah. 1910 and like when i walked in there i was like this is it and the realtor was like are you sure and i'm like fuck yeah like this is amazing and she was like okay i'll ask them how much they want uh, you know what they'd be willing to take and uh of course me like being dumb she's like how are you gonna get a loan i'm like no i'm gonna pay for it in cash and she's like oh okay and i'm like fuck i don't have any money to like pay my rent right now like much less buy this building so she gave me the numbers She's like, yeah, this is how much they'll, you know, they'll give you a decent deal, but this is what you're going to have to pay for it. And I was like, uh, how much time can I, can I have to, to get the money? And she's like, oh, I thought you had the money. And I'm like, I'm a teacher. Like, no, I don't have money to like feed my cat, you know? So I was like, look, if they can give me six months, I think I can raise the money. And I don't think anyone's going to come by anytime soon, see if they'll work with me. So, yeah, they were willing to do it. So, dude, I hit the ground running, man. At 5 a.m., I drive by that building every morning on the way to our school's weight room and just see it ran down with, like, no electricity, nothing. And I just became obsessed with it. Like, I'm going to drive by there one day, and there's going to be kids in there working out. I'm going to walk in there. Dude, like, everything. Dude, there is a building. Let's crack me up. There's a building, and I live in Las Vegas. Yeah. There's a building downtown. 
on the outskirts of where they're revitalizing downtown and uh, it's for sale. And when we go downtown to eat, I, you know, and it's in a crappy neighborhood and I drive by every day, every time we go down there and I go, that's where we're going to have our retail store. I'm going to yep. record podcast there and I'm going to have, you know, it's an old cool building. It's probably yeah. been here since the fifties. It's got a loading dock, you know, kind of thing. And I look at it and I go, that's where we're going to put Ma Deuce. Um, I own Ma Deuce nation. Yeah. And, uh, I'm like, that's, we're going to have a sign that in Vegas let, you know, lights that you can see from the freeway. It's right. Like almost underneath the freeway. And I'm like, that's where we're going to have our store. That's it right there. And we drive by and my wife and I joke, Oh, look, it's Madu's headquarters, you know, and it's every day we imagine it. I, I, dude, I totally picture you like going to work every day and just being like, that's it. Yeah. See, pe- people often talk about like the subconscious mind, you know, but not a lot of people understand how like the unconscious mind works. If you like program your unconscious mind to believe in what you're feeding it, it's like, it's on cruise control. Like you're going to make it fucking happen, but you have to like program it. But it's like, I tell people, you got to fucking believe it. Like you can talk all this shit, read all the inspirational stuff. Like you have to believe it. And like the deepest parts of your soul that like, you're going to make that shit happen. If you don't believe it, you'll never execute the mission. Dude. So I, man, needless to say after six months, I didn't have anywhere close to the money. I had, I, Oh Yeah. Fuck no, man. I mean, you go to you go to businesses around here. And you're like, hey, I'm gonna buy this facility. Oh yeah, here's a hundred dollars, you know, because it's just small town. So I'm like, yeah, Jesus Christ. So I tell the people, I'm like, look, I don't even have half the money, but I'm still working on it. And I think they knew I was trying to do something good, you know. And they're like, look, just keep working on it, you know. Don't worry about it if something changes. So yeah, after a year. Dude, I finally had all the cash and I had all the kids in my classroom at the school counted out. It was hilarious. It was like something out of a rap, you know, like cash. So literally, man, you know, I went, I went to the real estate place and I signed paperwork and she was like, okay, now you have the closing fees. And I'm like, what the fuck are closing fees? I had no idea about this. So I had all the money in full. Then I needed a little bit of money for the closing fees. Went to my bank. I was done. Dude, I had no money left. I, I had it all on the table. And I was like, here you go. Like, here's everything I've ever had. Fucking take it. And she gave me these keys to this old ran down building. And it was like the happiest freaking day of my life, man. Called my kids down there, my mom and it was a cool moment. And then everyone like looked around. I was like, well, what are you going to do now? Cause it's literally like a 7,000 square foot shithole. Oh yeah. Was- if you go look at that first picture you posted where it's just, I mean, it just looks like a rundown old warehouse that somebody made boots in at one point. Dude, so I was so happy and so broke. My grandma, <laughs> grandma had to give me $80 to get me by until I got paid in. But I, it's when I knew like it's what I was put here to do because along the way in that one year, so many people try to talk me out of it. Like, dude, it's, you're not getting the money cause it's not meant to be like, it's not this, like just count your losses. And like, I would let this shit fuel me and it would suck because people are like, you know, not trying to like really belittle you, 
but you could tell when people were trying to like throw jabs at, you know, and I'm like, I'm no, like, I know this is what I was, you know, put here to do. So yeah, man, after a year of just struggling and raising and networking, I would code, I would code call companies show up and it's hard in Oklahoma in the Bible belt covered in tattoos. You show up and they think I you're bet. like, yeah. So it's like, they don't even want to hear anything you had to say. So yeah, man, I just suffered for a year um raising the money to buy it and then once i bought it i realized i still had to raise like thousands of more dollars to like get the place up and going but i knew then it was, it was like a huge part and um dude I, I i had no money to do the renovation so i was like i have a bunch of kids at school that would probably want some like cash if i can ever get some so if you look at um, all the old photos where kids are in there with headlamps and like working on shit, it's just me and like my students like that too. After school, I told them like, look, um, it's cool. Cause one of the, one of the first kids that's in those photos, he's, he's a ranger now. It's fucking nuts to think about. But ah, it just just kind of cool. show, kind of shows like, yeah, when we think about it, it's, it's, it's pretty cool, man. But I told him like, look, um, I'll pay y'all a little bit of money. I'll give y'all a shit ton of energy drinks, feed y'all when I can. But uh, one day this building is going to be like a badass facility and like, it'll just be all ours, you know, like, Oh hell yeah. And then they showed up down there like, what the hell? Like I didn't know know anything about, you know, construction or anything like that. And dude, I just, took the same approach. I'm like, I'm just going to get after it. And like my mom and everyone was like, get a, get someone that can do your construction plan like this and that. I'm like, no, I, I feel like we're on the right track. It's just going to suck, you know? So yeah, dude, I spent another entire year raising money to, uh, to renovate the, to uh, renovate. The damn yeah. thing. Um, you gotta and, be a veteran. Cause you've said it like three times. You just embrace the suck. Every, Every, if you're not a veteran, you don't know what that means, but embracing the suck. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. We still had no electric or power or water. I mean, it was horrible. And um, but I realized it's it's for the kids. It's not about me, you know, it's about everyone else but me, honestly. I knew it was gonna offer me a lot of fulfillment, but I knew I had to suffer to make sure that I could set kids up for you know, success in the real world. So I just put that shit aside and just did all I had to do, man. So yeah, after about a year of raising money, getting donations, just working, doing whatever I could to it, we got a little bit of steam going. And it's crazy because um, <laughs> the week I bought the building, this old guy came by and I was outside. He's like, he's like, dude, he's like, can you believe some dumbass bought this building? And I died. I'm like, yeah, like I, it's me. He's like, oh, I didn't mean it like that. I'm like, dude, I don't blame you at all. And he's like, what the hell are you thinking? And I'm like, it's cool, you know, like it's gonna be this. We're gonna have like support groups, and it's gonna be all for free. And he's like, oh yeah, like you know, uh, good luck, like everyone else, you know. So, so yeah, man, my first two years, actually, my first three years of teaching was spent teaching full time, coaching full time. Yeah, one of the photos on my Instagram where the kids have on like headlamps. I helped coach coach the football game. Came back at eleven p.m. and we worked till like three a.m. with the headlamps. You know, it's just did, what. Did you oh. find that 
the kids that helped you do the renovations, do they, I mean, psychology wise, do, do they appreciate it more? It's their facility. Dude, you man, they thought that place was the nicest place ever. Um, when we just got some basic equipment, you would have thought we were in like Goat's gym, you know? If you didn't wipe your feet off in there, they would like try to beat your ass. And it's like, there's like literally metal falling from the ceilings, but they were like a part of something, you know? And right, right. They, they've, some of them were like, you know, we've had a lot of coaches like say they're going to do shit, but most of them never do. So you, we knew you were like actually trying to like do it, you know? So for me, man, I knew like, I knew, I knew the universe would like introduce me to the right people along the way and it would help, but I knew I had to like pay my dues and like suffer a little bit, you know? And that's what a lot of people aren't willing to do. You see people that's like, I'm going to start this shelter or this i just need to raise this much money and then they'll start to go fund me and after a week they're like oh it just wasn't meant to be like nobody gave me a hundred thousand dollars like surprise surprise so like right me i knew like nothing is gonna stop me like it doesn't matter like i have my own family that's telling me i'm fucking dumb i don't care people tell me they don't want to donate because it's not gonna work i don't care i'm just gonna keep i'm gonna keep it's not what it's about Dude, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep moving, man. Like no matter what, and the right people will come along, you know. And slowly after, like just building momentum. I didn't even really have Instagram like back. Well, not like I do now, but I just started like uploading like the process, and people are just like, "Dude, you're fucking nuts!" Like, how do you plan on doing this? So it's cool because a lot of people have seen the entire process, you know. Right. And, right. Yeah. Those. Those kids from that that first group, man, they – the other one went arm – the other one went National Guard. The other one – the one that went to Rangers did, – did Ranger, he graduated a year early. He didn't come from the best home life, you know. I mean, these are all kids that were the first to help me get that place up and going. So, if you look back on my Instagram, we were in there grinding before we even had all cool equipment, man. Like metal still falling down, but we had like squat racks and stuff like that. That's part. That's part of the training. If metal falls, duck and roll. Yeah. Yes. Listen, if if listen, if you can dodge a piece of tile, you can dodge anything in life. But for me, man, <laughs> I love for it. Me, like, the counseling aspect. Like, I don't need a textbook. I need something like that. Because well, you I, know what, kids kids that you're talking about aren't going to respond to a textbook. and They're going to see right through that, man, if that's not sincere. Dude, for sure. Yeah. No, I, I, I could even figure that out. I'm the dumbest dude in the room, and I could figure that out. I mean, I'm, I'm street smart. And, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, it, the second somebody said, oh, come to my outreach facility and let's get into some te- textbooks, I'm like, nah, come on, man. You know, let's be real. Yeah, for sure, man. So yeah, what what people see now is just a constant grind from 2016 to where we're at now. You know, like four years going going on five years, just being. So I was I was going to ask you that. So how long did it take you? So it took you a year to raise the money for the building. Took you another year to kind of get it renovated, right? So that the second year when we were working on it, we slowly would get equipment here and there. So it wasn't one of those things. I had to wait till it was perfect to let kids in because right, kids are right. 
So I'm like, fuck it, man. If y'all don't worry about not having a bathroom or electricity, like that's how bad it was back then. I'm like, if y'all keep coming here in these conditions, I know y'all are serious about like getting ready for like the next step. So I wasn't going to say, no, we're not open. You know, I'm like, Hey, this place is a shithole right now. I don't know when it's not going to be, but we'll be here till the end and we'll just grind away, man. We're just going to keep, keep moving forward with it. So yeah, about two, two years is when we started like working. I had kids in there within a year, man, back when it, there was no school at so, all. So talk, talk, talk us through, Talk us through the program. I mean, so obviously you teach some MMA stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, I've looked at the pictures. You can see that it's a gym. There's, yeah. you know, it's a gym. Um, yeah. I mean, so you, you do some MMA, which is teaching people responsibility and teaching people's, you know, self-defense. Yeah. Oh. What else do you do? I mean, I, that, I know that's not it. I mean, what else do you? Oh, man. So I knew I wanted my own facility. I just did. I didn't know what it was going to be. You know, but I knew it would come to fruition naturally. So I didn't label it really anything. It was people were like Coach Cooper's building because I didn't know what it was going to be. I knew what the core would be, but I didn't know how I would like carry it out, you know. And then with the space and everything, it literally just came together like naturally, you know, like kids wanted to start boxing. We'd already been working out. Then we do support where I'd talk to them about life, you know, just like real life. Stuff. So you do. So you have some like support group type. Oh yeah, dude. And that's how it all. Um, that's how it all started because it's it's like we it's like we tell people. Um, too many kids graduate high school never having to face any type of true adversity, and that's not a good thing. And when I say adversity, I don't mean like a football game or basketball game. I mean them having to like face themselves, like being pushed out of their comfort zone, past that threshold to see like what they have inside. Like too many kids never go through that, and it's not a good thing. But every because- year, every year, uh, kids become more. I mean, there's two types of kids, right? There's there's kids that are facing real adversity because they have no choice, right? Crappy home, crappy parents you know, they're facing life with, you know, with a black eye to start with. Right. And then two hands tied behind their back, but there's these other kids that come from some good homes. Um, you know, but, but every year I see it as I have five kids and I've four of them have, are out of the house now. And every year you saw more and more kids where their, their parents are fighting their battles. They're being micromanaged through the entire process. I can't stand it. I can't, I literally, it makes me sick to my stomach. I get, you, you just, you just hit a hot button for me. I mean, I'll start ranting and raving. Um, I can't stand it. My mom and dad, I, I grew up in a blue collar. My dad was an air force vet, you know, and I had two brothers, two sisters. We never really had a lot of money. You don't make a lot of money in the military, but i tell you one thing that my mom and dad taught me. You make your bed, you sleep in it. You know, yep. my mom and dad never came to my rescue, not once. Yep. If, if I got in trouble at school, you know, they may have went in the, you know, there, I, you know, I had some things where I had, a, I'll, I'll give you an example. I had a, a teacher in, in eighth grade. I remember this vividly. And they've talked to me about it now 
as an adult. But the lady was, it was this teacher that was, she called a parent conference. And when my mom gets in there, she goes, oh, Ben came in on Monday and he moved his pencil too loudly. He didn't set his book down correctly on the table. He moved his chair three times, once at 130, once at 145 and once. And they listened to this teacher go on about how terrible I was because of all these things, right? And uh, later on, I found out my mom and dad so when I'm sitting there with the teacher, my mom and dad let me have it. They said, okay, you know, you've broken the rules. You know the rules. You've made your bed. Now you got to sleep in it. So later on, I found out that it's, it's the one time that my mother, as soon as I left the room, she said, hey, show me the list of the things that Ben did correctly. Do you have that list? Like what, you know, kind of thing. But point being, point being, my parents were very good about letting me learn. And trust me, I learned them most of them the hard way, but learning my own lessons and having to deal with those consequences. And as a parent, it disgusts me to see right. parents fight their kids' battles, you know, and that their kids never learn that there's a consequence for actions. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and honestly, um, just from my years of teaching those kids that are micromanaged by the school and by their parents, um, dude, they get fucking wrecked in the real world. Because they, right. they don't know how to operate on their own. So, They're quitters. So it's like you said, um, you know, I, I think there's two types of kids in the school system. Like you said, type A, they have the basic necessities at home. A mom and dad is going to take care of them. They have that support system. Type B, they don't have shit. They're at school because they have nowhere else to be. And the problem is type A and B, the world's going to treat them the fucking same. Like it's gonna give it to them the same. So with the me, world the, doesn't care, dude. The world the world doesn't care. So for me, the first thing I do is let them kids know, like, <clears throat> I know you may not have the best home life and it sucks, but point blank, the world doesn't fucking care. But I also let them know, but dude, if a kid like you can push through, you have something. Like you have grit and determination and resolve that those other fucking kids don't have because they don't know what it's like to fight battles on their own like you do. So that's the first thing I do is let them know that. And a lot of times, man, that don't have a big impact on them because they've never been told that because they have nobody telling it for them, you know? So, yeah, that's what I would it, imagine that most of the kids that are working with you right now are type A, right? Where they not type A, type B example where they're where their man whole life may be crappy, but honestly, the type A kids need to be coming and working with you because Dude, what, you're not being taught how to. You're not yeah. being taught that life life is going to punch you in the gut. It doesn't matter if you got a silver spoon. It doesn't matter. You know you're going to be you're going to get, get punked, and if you're not prepared to punk back, you know. I don't know, man. I I, I appreciate what you're doing, man. It's Dude, what I what what i love most is like what we're doing it's impacting like both kids yeah yeah because, because down there there's there's no school board or superintendent like ask any kid that's came through there their parents don't come in there they don't get the opportunity to like what we do there is like sacred to like what we're doing and if parents can understand that let their kids in cool if not they're not given an opportunity like it's that simple 
And I knew if I created that type of bond, like they were a part of something, we could really like get to work with those kids. So dude, that that's honestly like the main thing. And that's how it came into what it is today. So for me, it's not getting ready kids for college or the military. It's getting them ready for the hardships they're going to have to face no matter what. The day they find out their mom has cancer, the day they lose their job, the day they find out they're getting a divorce, now they have to get shit figured out on those days. On those days, I don't want kids tapping out or reaching out for vices like drugs and alcohol. I want them be I want them to be able to go within in order to get out, you know? And the way we do that is we prepare the mind. Like that's what we do. We harden them up. So like you said, martial arts, do nothing teaches you self-reliance like martial arts. Like I'm going to get you on the grappling mats, put you in fucked up positions, stress you out, make you cry, make you anxious. Then I'm going to show you how to work through it. But I'm going to teach you how to breathe, stay calm, and to fight through it. And once they do fight through it, you see like the breakthrough. Like, okay, that really fucking sucked. Maybe this other situation out of here isn't that bad. And one of the last videos I posted of the heavier set kid that just started, these kids on antidepressants and this and that already. And it's like, they don't need that. They need to be put in situations and then taught how to physically and mentally handle it. When you talk about anxiety, it's a state of anxiousness, anticipating and worrying about something that hasn't even fucking happened yet. Yeah. And what, what's better than that than like boxing or grappling? You're going to put this headgear on. You're going to punch me and I'm going to punch you. It's coming. You're not going to take a pill to hit you, to help you. I'm going to teach you how to deal with it. Breathe, put your hands up, relax, stay calm. Don't freak out. And dude, once you teach them how to work through that, that's when they're like, oh yeah, he's not on his uh, anti-anxiety meds no more. Yeah, because he's learning how to like handle it or he's not on antidepressants because they were never clinically depressed. They had low self-esteem from low self-worth because they don't value who they are. They don't feel it. They don't see it. So you internalize all of that to where it gets to a point to where like they don't need that stuff. And for us, that's all our mission is because along the way they figure out who they are like that, that, that switch has been flipped. And then from there, it's like, I don't care. You want to go do McDonald's? I don't give a shit. I just expect you to show up on time and I expect you to be the hardest motherfucker there that's just going to keep moving forward. Whether you want to go into the workforce, the military, college, it doesn't matter. Like these skill sets or the tools we're giving them, it's going to help across the board. And what I like is what we're doing, like all the stories we have, like it's proof because we have kids that were the type A. They were like, you know what? Maybe I don't want college. Maybe I want to go to the Marine Corps. And they went and did that. Or the type B, like the kid that graduated ranger school, and then he graduated high school an entire year early. And then, the, you know, kids like that. And it's because you get kids thinking for themselves. You put them in vulnerable situations to where there's no one they can rely on. And then they realize, okay, this is what life is really going to be like. And along the way, dude, they find out more about themselves. And they're like, okay, maybe I can do more, you know? Dude, it's dude, it's amazing. I I can't even 
and it's thank fun. you or congratulate you more than I mean it. I think, um, I mean, I think there's different ways that to teach what you're teaching, but the way you're doing it and the, and the mentality, the angle you're coming from where it's like, you're, I mean, you're saying any kid, I mean, I, kids today live the heart. It's much harder than when I was little. And when you were little, it gets harder every year, every, yeah. every year a, a kid is born that generation, it's becoming more difficult to, to deal with the problems and, and, and we, trust me, we could be here for another two hours talking about all the outside influences that make it difficult. Um, right. But dude, I, I, I can't, I can't praise you enough. I think it's amazing what you're doing. So I, I've taken up a lot of your time. I know it's getting late. There. Oh, no, it's so good, I, man. This is a good spot to kind of circle in. I, you're clearly, you're clearly not charging for this. Tell our listeners, I mean, is there a place that, I mean, your website or, or yeah, yeah. put out, put out, put out all your social media stuff and then talk yeah. to us about how we can get some funding to you. Yeah. Uh, Instagram is the tattooed underscore teacher 87, I think. Damn. I should probably know that. I think so. Um, our facilities website is the mindsetacademy.org. And if you get on there, man, it basically shows you that, like the way we run it now. Like our program, the four-week program, kids have to make it through the martial arts part, the team building exercises. It's not, it's non-negotiable. Like if you're a type A kid and your parent comes down and they're the president of the bank and your son doesn't do, no, he's gonna do it there. Like it doesn't matter. Like you're gonna pay your dues, you know? So Dude, that's man. It what we do is simple, but it's like we talked about earlier. Like you can't fake passion. Either you want to do it, or yeah, or oh, and, and like my story, which I don't think I'm like some like successful dude, but I got my facility up and going because of the stuff I'm teaching the kids was like taught to me. Like you want to build your outreach center, do it. Nobody's coming to help you. Like your mom's not going to show up with six figures. None of these banks are going to help you. You have to do this on your own. And that's like a product of what I tell my kids, people every day, because there's, like you said, there's no fancy formula for the success, like getting something up and going, you know, you just have to be willing to go outside your comfort zone and you have to be willing to suffer. And when you think about it, that's what life is, man. It's a lot of pain, discomfort, and stress mixed in with a lot of beauty. But the problem is a lot of people don't know how to endure all the hardships, you know? And we're oh, we're doing and we're doing a bad job at like sugarcoating kids for those situations. So for me, man, it's all tough love. And that's why we're having, you know, such a success and having so many kids because it's so different than what schools are doing because there's days where it's just, everything's peace and love down there. There's some days my mom may walk in and I like have a kid in a triangle, like barely tapping like, Hey man, I thought you was a gangster. Like what happened? Maybe you should lose your eat. Like there's a lot of, literally that's what I wanted, man. Like I want to build my own facility where I can put the counseling, martial arts, all that, but, and help kids get ready and also help kids deal with a lot of like young childhood trauma, which some of our kids we've had, you know, we helped them work through that. And 
dude, it's cool because we have different counselors and agencies like send their kids to us because like, oh, we don't know. Like, and it's like, because you're teaching like textbook stuff. Like if you want them to deal with the trauma and to like get ready, dude, you got to go, you got to go with them to that dark place. It takes time. Like there's times I've spent eight months working with a kid before he's opened up and talked about stuff. And then it's like, okay, we're going to bring all that hate, pain and sadness out in here in this controlled environment together. We're going to live through that shit again. Then we're going to teach you how to get over it. And we're going to fucking leave it behind and just like move forward. You know, it's amazing. You're right. Uh, listeners, the, tattooed underscore teacher 87 go check him out and his website again is the mindsetacademy.org can our listeners donate on your website yeah for sure man there's a little there's a little donate tab and then we're working on some like new fundraising campaigns this year you know we've caught more you know we got to do a collab with Lift Fit out in California. The past, so it's it's because people are bigger companies like them seeing like what we're doing is real. You know, there's no like. So yeah, this year we're gonna be working on like more fundraising campaigns. I mean, this is honestly the first year that I had to like focus on really building it up and the funding because, man, as soon as I opened the doors down there two or three years ago, I already had kids like wanting you know you were doing the work yeah and i was still doing that so now we'll see the outsides all cool looking the inside but they didn't see like the four years of struggle so i'm just now to the point to where i can focus you know like got to write the books now i can focus on branching out and you know getting sponsors but it just took you know four years of eating ramen noodles and almost stripping at the strip club to get to this point. But Hey, look, man, there's nothing wrong with doing a little male stripping on the side now and again, you know, not gay. If you're doing it for the kids. Okay. (laughs) I love it, man. Hey, well, I think that's a good place to kind of wrap up, but I, I appreciate man, you coming on. I appreciate everything you're doing. Um, I, you know, I follow you on social media, you know, we're, we'll put this out, uh, you know, through, through the podcast, social media, but if there's anything that we can do for you from the podcast or from Modus Nation, um, you just let us know. Cause we, we'd love to help, man. Cause it's, uh, there's nothing more important than our young people right now. So, you know, teaching them how to, to be one better person people in our communities and then to to be better future leaders so no whatever aspect that is like you said whether it's military whether you're an accountant or whether you work at mcdonald's you know to be a better person and be able to handle you know the the suck of life you know and i i, I do nothing but applaud you for what you're doing man Thanks, man i appreciate it thanks for having me no problem man so with that I think we'll we'll shut it down for the night. But uh, again, go check out Dylan on his uh, social media and website, and uh, and do what you can to support him. So, with that, we'll be signing off.